0: Are you ready? That's the question that hangs over at this time of year, isn't it? Are you ready with the presents? Are you ready with the wrapping? Are you ready for the party? Have you got all the food ordered? Have you finished your emails so that you can be ready for some time off and switch off and take a breath? Have you got your stash of vitamin D ready? Have you got one of those light lamps? Because Christmas can be a dark time, winter's not easy. Are you ready to handle, have you steeled yourself to handle the awkward conversations with the family? The fact that there won't be any family? Are you ready for the darkness in the winter? The darkness that's outside, but also sometimes creeps inside. Are you ready for what the season is going to throw at you? Is going to bring to you? Well, that's the kind of question that hangs over Advent, isn't it? This little run-up season that we have just before Christmas time, just before the new year, before springtime. Are you ready? But it's not so much in in the Christian thinking in the church. It's not so much about presents and the trappings and all that. It's really asking: Are you ready to meet your Maker? Are you ready for the king? Advent's the kind of time when we're not just getting ready for Christmas, but it often makes us ask spiritually quite difficult and dark questions. Like, is he ever going to come back? Is there ever going to be light in the darkness? Is he ever going to answer my prayers? Is he ever going to put things right again? Because it's, it's feeling awfully dark in the world. It's feeling an awful lot like winter. And I'm not really sure I have much hope left for spring to come. That's the feeling of Advent excitement about Christmas, but also kind of growing gloom, wondering whether he is ever going to come, whether he is ever going to put it right. And if we're going to make it through the season, if we're going to be ready to meet the king, to meet our maker, you need to know what he's like, right? You need to have a clear picture of who he is, of what that day is going to be like, of what he wants from us, about how to be ready. You need to have a clear picture, a clear vision of him in order to be ready for him. So that's what we're doing today. We're going back to the book of Colossians that Yuan was introducing to us last week. Um, this isn't a big series, by the way, it's just a little kind of mini series of two before we get into Advent. thought it would be good for us to go back to Colossians 1 where Yuan was last week, um, if you were joining us, and just finish off, um, well, the next bit of the chapter anyway, which is really significant. It gives you a really clear to be honest a bit of an over-the-top, a bit of an avalanche view of who Jesus is. So we're going to dig into that. Colossae, um, it was a town, a town, you said last week, a little bit like Aminford, kind of inland, um, not the biggest town in the district, not the place that might be on everybody's list to go to on holidays, although we all know it should be, um, especially for the coffee and that kind of thing. The kind of place that might be forgotten, and yet it wasn't forgotten by God. It wasn't forgotten by Paul, God's servant wasn't forgotten by a guy called Epaphroditus, who was from Colossae and who'd heard about Jesus far away in the big city, Ephesus, and had brought the good news back to his hometown. And so Paul wrote them this letter to people who, to be honest, they weren't ready to meet Jesus. Well, they were in a way, but also they'd kind of taken their eyes off him and they were beginning to feel like they weren't ready. Maybe that's a better way to put it. They were beginning to feel a bit hollow, a bit empty, a bit like when you watch Christmas adverts and you see people having fun or you watch that advert for that newest product or um, that amazing fragrance. And perfume adverts are always weird, but you know what I mean, when, when you watch adverts and you just don't feel like you're having as good a time as you should. Like your parties are never quite as good as they seem on the adverts. The gifts are never quite as shiny and um, life-giving as they seem on the adverts. The perfume experience is definitely not what it usually is on the adverts. And so our culture, our television, just the way that we um, buy stuff and consume stuff and think about life has has really made us feel like we're Colossians. Colossians were people who felt like they were a bit empty, like they didn't really have or that they should have. They felt it particularly with their religion. Some of them were pagans or used to be pagans. Some of them used to be Jews. And so they had all sorts of different like magnetic pulls going on in their lives. Some, sometimes they were people in town saying, oh, you need to go back to the Jewish customs. That's what would make you really full. That's what would put your life back together again. Others were maybe more pagan ideas like you need to worship some angels or um, have these spiritual experiences or make sure you practice this feast day or just do this, do that, whatever it is. If you just did that, Colossian Christians, then you'd be real Christians. Then you'd have the full experience of life. Then you'd, then you'd really be living. And so they're beginning to feel like they've missed out. They're beginning to feel like they're, um, they're missing something, that they aren't quite all there, that maybe Ephesus, um, Epaphras had only heard half the message in Ephesus and had only brought back half the goods, and that there was something missing from their lives. And so Paul's writing this whole letter to help them see Jesus, to help them be ready to meet him, and in the meantime, while they're getting ready to meet him, to know that they have everything that they need, to, to know that they have everything for life, everything for godliness, everything for um, for a full human life. Life to the full, like Jesus promised in Jesus himself, right? They've begun to lose sight of Jesus. I wonder if you are in the same boat. I wonder if he used to be really sharp and bright and beautiful to you, and he's just kind of lost his shine recently. I wonder if you've been praying a lot and just haven't heard much back, haven't had many answers to prayer and you've been disappointed, to be honest. Maybe you just feel really alone Um, Maybe you feel far away from God, maybe you know you've done something and it's it's sticking in your conscience and you just can't quite get rid of it and you feel like you almost can't look God in the face. Maybe you're not sure you even believe in God. I don't know if you have a God-shaped hole in you and feel like there's something big missing in your life, or maybe you don't, maybe you feel pretty good. But still sometimes have an inkling that there might be something more out there. Well, this is hopefully going to be really helpful to us. Colossians 1, let's go and read it. If you've got a Bible there... Um, you can follow along with me from verse 13 in Colossians chapter 1. You'll find it towards the end of the Bible. It's in the kind of little letters that you find right near the end, just before Revelation. Flick back a little bit if you've got too far and get to Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 13. I'm going to read it to you. So if you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along with this. What is Jesus like? That's our big question. Who is he? Well, Colossians 1:13 says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Talking about God. Brought us from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of the son he loves. If you're a Christian, that's true of you. You used to be in darkness, now you're in the light. Not because of any cleverness on your own part, but because he has brought you. Brought you from one bucket, put you in the other. One kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light, this, of the son he loves. This son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what's he like? This is the main uh, the main course for today. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and don't move on from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Those are beautiful words and they're so rich and so full. Um, you could spend all afternoon, all Advent, all of the rest of your life dwelling on them. And I hope you will. I hope you go back and pick out a few of those phrases and just have them tumbling over in your mind through these next few weeks. But did you see that that last verse? What does Paul call the message? What does he call the news? He calls it gospel. Did you hear that? This is the gospel that you heard that's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul is all about gospel. Now that's a, a word, an old word, an ancient word, which you would use for what you'd hear from somebody who rode into town on a horse with a trumpet or like a big barrel chest and said like, hear ye, hear ye, the king is dead. Long live the king, right? There's a new king in town would be gospel. It's an announcement. It's, sometimes it would be really good news, right? Herod is dead and there's a new king instead. The old is gone, the new has come, a new regime is in town, and that's what the word gospel meant. For us, we often say it means good news, and it really is good news when, when you're talking about Jesus. But really, it's an announcement of something, something earth-shattering, something that was has changed the game forever, something that has put a mark down in history. And who is it? What is it? It's Jesus. That's what Paul's gospel, his announcement is. He's riding into town. Maybe not with so much of a bowel chest. Apparently he wasn't a very impressive kind of guy, not an oppressive speaker. But his announcement, his good news that the Colossians said, lapped up in the beginning, was that Jesus is king over everything. That's basically how you might sum up those verses that we read, isn't it? Did you see how much the word all came up? All things, all things, all things. He's full. He's everything. He's supreme. He's the head. He's he's the one over all. And so that's really the big idea I want you to take home, is that Jesus is for everyone. Jesus is somebody who everybody should be interested in, because because the, because he's everything. He's the one, well, let's go through it a little bit more slowly. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. That means if you want to know God, you look at Jesus. Did you know that? This would have been... Earth-shattering for Jews and for pagans, people who made up the Colossian population, right? Jews believed in God, one God, but they didn't really ever think he could actually walk on the earth. That's why they had a lot of trouble coming to terms with Jesus. And pagans thought it was ridiculous to think there was one God. There's plenty of gods, and of course they can walk the earth, but there's not just one of them. And so Paul is saying something, well, Jesus is something earth-shattering because he is the only God who dwells in heaven, who's made the world who's walked on the earth. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Well, you have because you know the Christmas story, but it should be something that blows our minds. He's the image of the invisible God. You wanna look at God? Somebody might ask you, have you seen God? Well, if you'd lived 2000 years ago and met Jesus, you would have seen God. The invisible God who you could never know, who's transcendent, who's behind, who you sort of know is there, but never sure how you can really get, get to grips with him, get to know him. Well, how do you do that? You get to know Jesus. And once you know Jesus, you know God. Jesus says that all over the place in the New Testament, in the Gospels, uh, over and over again. John chapter 8, you could look it up. He says something really mysterious. He says, before Abraham was, I am. If you've been with us over the last couple of months, we've been doing a series of I am sayings of Jesus, which are Jesus telling us who he is. And I am, that's a, it's a bit of a strange phrase. It sounds weird in, in English grammar if you put it in a sentence as Jesus did but what it is is echoing back to uh, to the name that God gave Moses to know him by right back in in the early stories God calls himself I am and then Jesus says I am before Abraham the great father of all the Jewish nation before he was I am I was and I Am and I always will be is what he means. That he's the one who's always been. He's the one that if you want to know God, you get to know. He is God revealing himself to us. And he's the firstborn over all creation. Um, I should have told you what we're doing today in stru- structure terms. We're looking at Jesus as the one who's supreme. And because he's supreme, he's sufficient. Okay, he's supreme over several things. Creation. We'll look at two big ones today. Creation and new creation. Life and new life. So he's supreme over those things. Life and new life. And because of that, he's all you need, he's sufficient. Jesus is everything, so he's all that you need, all that you need to know God, all that that you need because he made this world, right? He's the firstborn over all creation, which we need to pause for a moment. Doesn't mean that he was the first thing to be made. If you've talked to Jehovah's Witnesses, or if you lived a couple of thousand years ago and had met a man called Arius, um, he would have told you that Jesus was just a really special guy, the first thing to be created, the first of God's creations. Really special human, really superpowers, but not actually God himself. And you'd read this verse and you'd think, okay, maybe they're right. That's the kind of thing that Jehovah's Witnesses believe today. It's called Arianism. Nothing to do with kind of blonde hair and blue eyes, by the way. It's a theological thing about Jesus being very special, but not God. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And they would look at this verse and say, oh, look, he's the firstborn of creation. Firstborn over all creation. But what's going on here is not saying that he's the first thing to be made, I'll show you another reason for that in a second. What it's saying is he's the one who inherits creation. Because in these days, in the Greek world, you would call someone the firstborn if they were the one who was going to inherit everything. Um, even if they weren't the literal firstborn in the family, but they were the inheritor, you'd call them the firstborn. Right? So if you had sisters and then you were the first boy in the family, you'd probably inherit everything and you'd be called the firstborn even though you went first to be born. Does that make sense? So what this is saying is he's image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, you see him. Who is God to us? He's our maker. He's the one who owns us, who owns the world. So he's firstborn, the inheritor of all creation. The one, do you see it in verse 16? All things have been created through him and for him. Can you see that idea? Right? And, and it's not just that they're coming to him, but that they came from him. For in him all things were created. And so you could draw a little diagram if you have a Jehovah's Witness friend. You could draw a circle. And in that circle write the words everything that's ever been created or all things. And where does Jesus go on on your diagram? In or outside the circle? Is he something that's been created? No, he's the one who's in him all things were created. So everything that's been created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, just to make sure that you know it's all things and really all things, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, good, evil, absolutely everything you can think of in the world, in your experience, visible and invisible, spiritual, physical, and everything in between, he made that. It came from him and it's going to him. He's the alpha and the omega, is how it puts it, another place in the Bible. So you see, supreme over creation atoms the tiniest things in creation and planets and galaxies the greatest and largest and most marvelous things in creation the most beautiful and fragrant things from cinnamon that's one of my favorite things in the world strange isn't it bark that's left to dry and mature for 20 plus years and then you grate it up really fine and put it in bread and porridge and that kind of thing and it just tastes delicious he invented that he made it and it's for him when you are eating your porridge with a bit of cinnamon and raisins like i like it that should be a worship experience. Everything is going to him and saying, thank you, Jesus, for making me, for making this. Here, I give it back to you. It's really good. And it came from you. And of your own have we given you. You see, he's the firstborn. Everything came from him. He's the supreme one, supreme over creation, supreme over life as we know it, in every realm as we know it. So there was a a Dutch politician and theologian, a guy who was very busy, called Abraham Cowper, who has a great quote that I think I've mentioned a few times before in the past. He says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who's sovereign over all, he's the king, doesn't cry, mine. There's not an inch of it that he doesn't look at it and say, yeah, I made that and it belongs to me. That's got my name on it. Can you see that? It's got my fingerprints, every single inch, every fraction, every atom and galaxy, every hair on your head belongs to him. He's supreme over all of it, not just for Christians, right, but for everyone, for all the people that you know, for those people that you meet at the school gate who are just a, a bit too busy for us to, to have a proper chat with every day. You know, they've got a busy life. They've got a lot of kids. They've got hard times that they're going through. Jesus is supreme for them. He's over them, they belong to him. And if they would have him, he would belong to them. Those people that are next door and you've, to be honest, not quite learned their names yet. They've lived there for a while, but he's over them. Um, Those people who live on the other side of the planet, who follow different religions, who live in very different ways to us he's over them every single square inch of this whole globe came from him and is going to him he's supreme over it all so what does that mean it means he's sufficient in every situation it means whatever, whatever you need he has it and he can provide it for you and he will provide it for you because he's a good father he's someone who's gracious to us and given us everything given us his only son so will he not give us all things give us our, our daily bread today he's really really good god you can trust him he's sufficient in all of your needs and struggles. He can help you. Of course he can. (laughs) He's also sufficient in all of our fears. Um, Our former pastor, Jonathan Thomas, has uh, told a story I remember a long time ago um, that's always stuck in my head. He was at university in Aberystwyth, studying theology there. And um, not many of the people in his theology department were Christians. He was a, a good, solid Christian, believed the stuff that they were studying. Not many other people did. So he often felt small and belittled and like he was backward and just didn't really belong. And what he would do would, would be to go out of just a little bit on the edge of Aberystwyth, this little hill called Constitution Hill at the end of the beach. You can walk up there. He used to walk up there and look down at the little college by the sea where he felt very small. And he would see that the college compared to Cardigan Bay was very small. And the people within it were even smaller. And the God who made Cardigan Bay and holds it all in his hands was even greater and bigger still and he held Jonathan in his hands, and he was true. And so whatever he was learning in his lecture halls, whatever people said to him that made him feel small, didn't matter, it was put in perspective because he saw Christ for who he really was, saw creation, saw that Jesus was over creation and thought, yeah, I'm gonna be on his team. <laughs> I'm not gonna worry what people say to me. So do you see how that helps with fear? Who makes you feel small? What is it that makes you feel like Christianity's backward and doesn't really belong in this age? Um, who is it that makes you feel like uh, like you're just a bit dull, a bit of an idiot? Uh, who is it that makes you feel like there's no point carrying on? What is it that makes you feel like you should be giving up? Who is it that hollows you out? Or what is it that you watch on TV or that you hear on the internet or in the news that hollows you out and makes you feel like you're not quite enough? Like Jesus is okay, but really life is found away from him. What what are those things that make you feel hollow? Well, what you need to do is get some perspective. Do what you need to do. Climb a hill. Um, read read the scriptures. Go to pray. Go and meet with that Christian who's just on fire. And they always give you a little bit, lend you a little bit of warmth. Go to them and, and be reminded. Come to Colossians 1 and be reminded that he is the image of the invisible God. You want to know God? You know him. He's the supreme one over all creation. So there's no need to fear. Don't be afraid. Man, time is going on. And I have... Um, Filled up my time pretty much with that first point. But let's look a little bit more. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the one, the king over creation. He's also the king over new creation. He's the king over life as we know it. And he's the king over new life. As we've begun to taste it in the church and as we'll taste it for eternity. He's the head of the body, the church. Right? Supreme over us as his people. He's the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. So that in everything he might have... Supremacy. There's our word, for God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, things in heaven, on earth, um, sorry, things on earth or things in heaven by pe- make by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, but now He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in His sight. Did you know that God has broken into this world, that this life as we know it isn't the only life that there is. But that God has become man and made himself visible, that he came and and gave himself blood and then was willing to pour it out again to give us new life. So your body is really good, right? God says your body is good. God says that by being willing to take up a body and become a human being like us. He also says that suffering isn't meaningless because he's willing to come and suffer with us in a body. He says that there are people in this world who he loves and who he wants to be in his family and so he makes the church and puts himself as the head over it so that where he goes, we go. So that what he thinks, that's what we think. So that what he says, that's what we want to say. So that where he goes, that's where we want to go. You see, he's the head of this new community of people who suffer like him often. Christians go through some hard times, don't we? But who know life. That's just kind of new life, that's light, that's coming from darkness and into a new kind of life that's, um, that's indestructible, that even goes beyond the grave. Did you see that? He's the firstborn, not just of creation, not just the inherited of creation, but he's the firstborn from the dead. And actually, you can take that in both ways now, right? He's the one who's the firstborn from the grave, that the, the grave burst open, the waters broke and gave birth to Jesus. Oh, that's a bit of a weird picture, but you know, the stone was rolled away and out came Jesus, the firstborn of, of a new kind of humanity, uh, made with immortal bodies of flesh, right? He has now reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, his physical body to present you holy in his sight, to bring you to God, to reconcile you, to take away all of our sin, all of our darkness, everything that's made life as we know it, adventy and made us long for the King, made us long for it all to come good in the end. Jesus has come into this world, into the darkness, and, and shone light like you would never believe. You see? So he's supreme over the world as we know it, because he made it. And he's supreme over the world as it always will be, when he's finished new creation. But that's begun already, right? In our hearts, in our lives, in the church. And he's supreme over that too. So he's supreme over creation and he's sufficient. No fear, no worry. Come to him, he'll give you everything you need and put it all in perspective. That was the first thing. Now he's supreme over new creation. So don't you worry about the future. Don't you take your eyes off him. Don't you think and feel that you're hollow. Don't let anybody tell you that you're not enough. Because, well, of course we're not on our own, but we've got Christ as our head. We're brought into the community of the church. We're brought to God as without blemish, free from accusation, where we know what we've done in the past. And that has given us hope, right? The hope held out in the gospel. Faith grasps that hope and says, yes, I want this to be mine. And then we just keep on living like that. With our eyes on the world around us saying, thank you, Jesus, for this. Help me not to be afraid as I walk. And with our eyes fixed on him in the future saying, come quickly, I'm ready to meet you. I'm ready to meet you. And I can't wait to see my king who's supreme, over everything, past, present, future, who's dealt with all of my darkness, washed my sins away and brought me into the presence of the Father. He did that for us. You can trust him with that power. And so, of course, he's the, the king that we're waiting for, the king who's going to be able to put it all right, the king that we need to be ready for. Um, I wonder if you've got lots of questions about that, especially if you're not sure about the Christian faith, if you're somebody who's... Not really sure how we can know that Jesus is the only way, because it seems like he really is here, right? He's supreme over everyone in the world, whatever religion, you should be coming to Jesus and doing business with him. He's the one who's at the centre of history. He's the the point (coughs) where everything turns around, the still centre where everything revolves around. That's who Jesus is. You need to come and know him, but how can we know that he really is the only way? That sounds a bit arrogant, or it sounds a bit ignorant. But if it's true then it's extremely important. Okay, I don't think it is arrogant because to a degree, everyone thinks that they're right. Everyone thinks they have the only way. You don't have to worry about saying that Jesus is the only way because everyone lives and thinks that their way is the way, or else they wouldn't live that way. So it's not necessarily arrogant to think that you're right. What, What needs to keep us from arrogance is the content of your beliefs, right? Not that you believe that you're right, but it's what you believe. So if you believe that, God is a God who gives himself, who pours himself out, He's even willing to die for us. If that's what's at the centre of your life, if that's what you believe is true, then of course you're going to be turning into somebody who's not arrogant, who doesn't lord over other people, but who's giving yourself and pouring yourself and even giving your life for those who are your enemies. So I don't think it's arrogant to believe that Christianity is true because everyone believes that what they believe is true. And what we believe is, is something that would make you humble something that would make you arrogant. And is it ignorant? Well, I've had a fair few interactions with lots of people of religions around the world, but if you've got something that maybe you haven't heard before, something that you think is better news than Jesus, something that you think, someone you think is more supreme, more glorious, more good, more powerful, then I wanna know about that person, whoever it is. Because to me, so far, in all of my journeyings and wonderings and and questionings and thinking about these things, and okay, I haven't seen the whole of the world, Um, nobody has. But in all of my journey so far, I've never met anyone like this. I've never met a king who promises this much and delivers this much, who gives himself completely to us, who gives his whole world to us as a gift, and then would even lay down his life and give us new life as a gift. Jesus is supreme. He's the one you've got to come and bow before, the one you've got to come and get to know, the one you've got to come and do business with. He's the king who's coming. He is your maker. And he's the one who can give you new life and make you look forward to the day not dread it not feel it like it's a dark day not be terrified about it but be sure that he's coming and be sure that you're looking forward to it so are you ready to meet the king keep your eyes fixed on him and let's be ready lord we thank you that this is who you are that you are the god who's powerful and that you use that power to step down and serve and love and give yourself to us we thank you that your god the god who's taken us from darkness and into light lord we could never do that on our own with our own cleverness with our own ideas but you've done it for us in your son reconciled us and brought us home lord we thank you that that you've given us this world we thank you that you've promised to us a new world and new hearts and new bodies and new life a place where tears will be wiped away where there won't be any darkness or doubting anymore so lord we pray that you'd help us that you would come to us that you would answer our prayers that you'd help us as we wait for you to know that we're not waiting in vain but as we look forward and get ready to the king for the king lord we ask that you would come and wait with us and come and be with us and watch over us and keep us and carry us until that day we get to see you face to face. Amen.